let's start this episode with the two-pronged question, or two overlapping questions, or something like that. What makes kids bad, and what makes bad kids? So, what makes kids bad? What I mean by that is, how do you define a kid as bad? What are the qualities that make a person, or specifically a kid, bad? What do we mean by bad? Is bad gone bad, gone wrong, rotten? Is it someone who's failing at, say, their grades, failing to be social, or is it someone who's actively being destructive and hurting others? So, just exactly how do we define bad, and what is it to be bad? Is it something that you fall into, something you grow out of? Is a bad kid inherently different from a bad adult, or are they just the same things at different ages? <laughs> Endless questions there. And then, secondly, what makes kids bad? Or what make I'm I'm forgetting I'm forgetting the word the which word order I use first time round. But the other question I want to ask is more like um, what conditions or what treatment or what exposure to what events can make a kid grow up to be like a problem, troublesome? Is it their family life? Is it poverty? Is it being overindulged? Is it being subjected to too much stress? Is it abandonment? You know, there's infinite weight on this. Maybe not infinite, but there's an awful lot of ways to approach these questions and an awful lot of ways to answer these questions. Um, the book that we're looking at for this episode is called Bad Kids. That's its name in translation. Its name in Chinese, Huai Haizi, basically the same. In fact, exactly the same? I suppose that's a philosophical question. But in any case, Bad Kids by Zijin Chen is the book. And the guest is Zijin Chen's translator, I think. Every for, the, for both of the two books of his, you can get in English. Michelle Dieter returning to the show yet again. I'm very happy to say. Of course, before we get to that interview, we're going to go to the Truthific News, the translated Chinese fiction news. So let's go. Okay, three news items. Let's see how quickly. Or how efficiently, rather, I can zip through them. The first is something you can read. This has been this is an article on a book that has gone up to the China the China Project. I believe this used to be called uh, Sub China. It's now the China Project. The article is by Jonathan Chatwin. I believe he's is he an academic or a sinologist or something. He's got uh, I think had at least one podcast uh, on something to do with China. He's got a book, uh, I believe, as well. So yeah, this this is a name uh, I recognise. That's all I'm saying. So he's written this piece about the sacred clan by Liang Hong. It's called The Sacred Clan. Liang Hong turns to fiction to explore rural China. Uh, the little lead-in after that says, Realism and the supernatural mix in Liang, Liang Hong's The Sacred Clan, a collection of short stories that continues the author's lifelong work of capturing rural China. Uh, Liang Hong had a book that came out in that was translated called China in One Village, I believe. Yeah, it's right there in the article. I didn't have to go by memory. But that was a, sort of a chronicle of everyday life in this village somewhere in Hunan, I'm seeing. I, I'm, this literally, I'm trying to remember everything by memory, and then I look at the screen and it's right there. So yeah, so books you can get by Liang Hong in English, now number two. Now number at two. First was China in one village, a non-fiction, and now we have the fiction, The Sacred Clan. It's published by none other than Sinoist Books. 
friends of the pod. So do check that out. Check out the article. And if the article's grabbing you, you know, go investigate the book. Okay, second news item. This might be one for you if you've ever eaten bugs. I've eaten bugs twice. Once in Doxing, uh, Doxing County, where I lived my first year in China. And then again, during my time living in China, but on a holiday, I was in, I believe this was in Busan in South Korea. They, they had, I think it was the same dish in both instances. It was uh, the cocoons, I believe, and not the actual bug, I'm not sure, but of, of silkworms, that dish. And that was actually in a Japanese restaurant, I think, like a Japanese skewer restaurant in Busan. Didn't really like them very much. But anyway, um, the reason I'm going on about bugs is because as part of a series of translations called Food Glorious Food, Paper Republic have published a translation of a story called The Bug Princess by Yang Shuangzi, translated by Francesca Jordan, who's, I believe, had been doing academic work on the writing of Yang Shuangzi, who is a fascinating author. So I don't, I have not read this story, but what I can say is that what what I can say is what I've learned about Yang Shuangzi uh, by listening to uh, Francesca Jordan speak at the Taiwan Lit, uh, Lit event I went to at the Leeds Center for New Chinese Writing, where she introduced us to Yang Shuangzi and explained that she's uh, still writing today. So born nineteen eighty four, that makes her nine years older than me, uh, <laughs> and she writes historical fiction in a, I forget, I, I think it's similar to whatever the Japanese name is for, like a girl's love story. If you're a big manga head, you'll know this. I don't, but I guess they're also known as lily fiction. So she writes like a very literary, I guess, version of these gentle, like, girl love stories. Um, I'm not sure where the bug princess fits into that, but I think, I'm as far as I'm aware, this is the first translation of Yang Xuan's uh, published that I've seen. Just sounds so different, so out there. Why not check it out? It's up to read on the Paper Republic for free. Link is in the show notes. Okay, and last thing, this is incredibly brief because this is, to be honest, this was me being lazy. I searched Twitter for Chinese literature and I got a result from the 11th of July this year shared by, I guess, the Hangzhou Tourist Board. Its profile picture is just the logo that Hangzhou has for Hangzhou City. I used to see it riding the bus from Deqing into Hangzhou. Oh, that's, that's nostalgic to think about. Anyway, um, according to Hangzhou Feel, this Hangzhou City Twitter account, which must be run with a VPN, I suppose, um, there is an exhibition about the poet or the literary figure Su Shi, which is running at the Westlake Museum in Hangzhou. According to at Hangzhou Feel, uh, Hangzhou Feel rather, the, ex- the exhibit showcases 252 cultural relics from 17 cultural institu- institutions and they've put hashtag what's on Hangzhou, which I'm going to have to investigate that hashtag. Is anyone actually posting on that apart from Hangzhou Feel? Uh, no, it's, oh no, there is one other person using the hashtag. Okay, <laughs> I'll leave that one for you listeners to check out. Uh, but yeah, if you're in Hangzhou or if you're in China's Jiangnan region and Susha or just anything about a literary figure appeals to you, maybe you'll be into this. It it looks very pretty. They've got some photos from the museum. They've certainly made an effort with the lighting and the colors and whatnot. So perhaps that will be nice. Perhaps that'll be worth a visit for you. Well, that's all the news items. I'll round off the Church of Vic news there. Now we must 
march forward to meet the bad kids in conversation with Michelle Dieter. This was a fun one. Enjoy. And I hope that by the end of the interview, you'll be convinced to go check out the book. I thought it was really quite both a very good read and pretty unique out of stuff I've read for the pod. Quite dark. Although the question of how dark it is will come up in this interview. So see what you make of that. And if you do read the book, then see what you make of the book. Okay, enough for me. On with the interview. So back on the show yet again, we have friend of the pod, Michelle Dieter. Michelle, fantastic to have you back. What have you been up to since you were last here? Well, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I suppose. Um, I gave a webinar on museum translation, which was super fun. Gave an online course on specialized translation, like covered legal and scientific, environmental. It's really cool. Um, I started teaching 50% at Newcastle University. So you probably knew that I was teaching there before, but now it's um, like it's a big part of my income and I have students that I'm taking care of, you know, I have little two T's and things. So that um, has become more interesting, more of a responsibility as well. Um, and I qualified as a public service interpreter. So I'm going to court a lot. I was actually in court today. <laughs> oh. um, interpreting for clients, you know, criminal or family or business type stuff, all that. Unfortunately, all this other new stuff I'm doing means I'm not doing as much literary translation at the moment. I had one short story since I last spoke to you and um, a sample translation that I did. And I'm not sure if that book is going anywhere. So, yeah. Well, oh, fingers crossed for it. Oh, yeah. I hope the right person <laughs> sees it. I can relate with um, cutting, cutting down on the, the higher things just out of being busy. That's, that's real in my world. I don't know if I've said on this show before, but um, listeners may want to know, I got got myself a dog. So dog is now number one. After the job, dog is now number one <laughs> competitor for the podcast. But um, enough about me. I thought we could march forward to discuss the book. Listeners, if you want to know more about Michelle, just go to the website, the podcast homepage, trchfic.com type the word Michelle into the search bar. And I think there's three episodes with you on them. I think this is number four, which uh, does this make This is an you... honor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That means you overtaken, uh, definitively overtaken Nikki Harmon, I think, for most Ooh, repeat appearances. Maybe. I think, I think, I think once you on mentioned me in show notes, and so it comes up in a search, but it's not actually oh, yeah. me as the guest. Yeah, so. yeah, that's true. Yes, very true. Awesome. Anyway. Our, <laughs> our uh, book is Bad Kids by Haidza. So, Michelle, who are these kids and why are they bad? Yeah, so it centers around three kids. And the one kid, Zhu Chaoyang, is kind of a straight-A student, kind of always follows the rules and is the one that would probably be so good that he gets bullied all the time. And he gradually transforms into someone calculating and someone mistrustful of everyone. And um, kind of his transformation was the main reason why I agreed to translate this book. I think it's really fun to watch him go from good scaredy cat kid into just something almost unrecognizable. He turns into a very bad kid. The other two bad kids are kind of like bad by association, I suppose. So Ding Hao is 13 and he um, 
lands in an orphanage and so sometimes you know has to do things that are socially not so good like steal a man's wallet so that he has money to run away from the orphanage um and poopoo um is kind of malevolent she's <laughs> i don't know if you call her chaotic evil or what but uh she certainly believes that um if chao yang is bullied by someone that person should get I don't know, attacked should get in trouble for that. Uh, so she's most definitely a bad kid. She's not just bad by association. Um, the television show is sometimes translated into Hidden Corner, right? So the book came out first in Chinese, and then there was a Chinese television show. And when they picked up the book to translate into English, they thought about making it Hidden Corner. And I'm just like, what? Um, fortunately, I've got to change it to Bad Kids, although it does make me think of the song, Bad Boys, Bad Boys, What You Gonna Do? And so I'm I'm torn about <laughs> the title that I fought for. <laughs> hidden, hidden Corner. That's where's, What does that refer to? Exactly, Angus. I've read this book at least three times. I don't know. There's no corners, folks. <laughs> I mean, please write in, you know, let us know what you think the hidden corner refers to. And I guess it's worth saying, I, I said it earlier, but as I understood it, Bad Kids is basically just a literal translation of the book's title, right? Just why hides the bad kids. I, I had seen news about the book getting adapted into a TV show and I'd seen its English name is also a literal translation, but it's The Bad Kids. Yeah, and I don't know how they came up with that either but for me that bad kids maybe because it's like two short syllables and they both end in d or something about that that to mm. me sounds like a title seven letters yeah short is good right it's very snappy indeed yeah um a book book cover designers dream come true i think because you can make it huge right yeah the rest of the cover design is predictably red and therefore <laughs> disappointing but um, oh the way the bad and kids spreads out at the top and is super recognizable, that is good. You mean disappointing in the sense that it's a book set in China and they made it red or? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, Never I mind. It I happens. I thought about that, but I really love the color red. So I have a, a blind spot, I suppose. <laughs> Wait till you have a shelf of red because you buy so many books in translation. <laughs> well, I, I have all my translated Chinese books on a shelf it's not too red, but I don't know. Maybe that's down to the sort of books I'm getting a lot I think of them. The other thing is that it happens more in nonfiction mm. compared to fiction. It gets into like a farce in, you know, a commercial bookshop in the, I don't know what you call it, the genre of book of someone funded by an American think tank writing a large red China is scary book. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. It's a genre. Um, so, We've introduced the bad kids and why they're bad. Would you say I, this is not a question I prepared you for? But would you would you say this is a crime fiction? And if so, is it standard fare or is it something a bit different? Definitely, it's crime fiction. We've got some crimes happening, and the crimes are solved at the end to a kind of satisfactory conclusion. Personally, I really enjoy crime fiction that takes place close to modern day, and where the characters kind of live a life that's similar enough to mine you know when they're um decades and decades away like i just finished a book that uh, is supposed to take place in imperial china 
and you know somebody is posing as a eunuch one of the main characters is classic move yeah (laughs) to get in the palace like for me it's that's not classic fare anymore that's something that's got the layer of historical fiction on top of it um so for me if it takes place in a city and we've got that pacey pacey um short chapters going on then that hits the sweet spot and for me that's just catnip it's perfect Mm, although it is uh, yeah like you said it's a sort of urban setting but mountains come in and i'm going to introduce the mountains by reading the barb a classic angus move um (laughs) one beautiful morning jang dong shun shun pushes his wealthy in-laws off a remote mountain it's the perfect crime or so he thinks or Zhang did not expect that teenager Chao Yang and his friends would catch him in the act. An opportunity for blackmail presents itself, and the kids start down a dark path that will lead to the unravelling of all their lives. Dark, heart-stopping, and violent bad kids is the suspense thriller that has taken China by storm, proving that anyone has what it takes to become a killer. So that's that's the, the basic premise, I guess, that uh, the kids spot a killer and decide to use it. What the blurb maybe didn't tell us because blurbs have limited word counts is that the the two kids you mentioned ding hao and Pupu, um they're orphans on the run and the, as i think i don't think i'm misrepresenting it the blackmail is essentially a way to get them money so that they can exist because they don't have parents to look after them yeah. and the social services system uh took understatement of the century it wasn't serving them very well it wasn't let them down yeah <laughs> let them down just a little bit a teeny bit Mm. yeah is there anything else you'd want to describe about the plot or the premise or do you think that's sort of enough to 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 start with well you mentioned how you know family plays a bigger role in china than it does in other countries even though people from all around the world would say family is important so i think although i would say i wouldn't want to claim china is the number i I wouldn't (laughs) want to say china is the best has the highest score on the family meter out of all 200 countries, but it must be fairly high. I think it's an interesting dynamic to see how um, a strong family leads uh, kids to act in one way, whereas a broken family or apparently being raised by a single mother can lead you to have these insecurities and to be distrusting of others and just can lead to all sorts of problems. So Part of the reason why Ding Hao and Pupu have so many problems is because they have no parents and their aunts and uncles uh, refuse to do anything for them. And definitely part of the reason why Chao Yang gets into more and more trouble is because nobody's supervising him and noticing that he's changing or noticing that these kids are a little bit weird that he's suddenly hanging out with. But also just the whole dynamics, the idea that a step family could be um, estranged from each other for so long is like a key part of how Chaeyoung changes and why he does some of the things he does. But I, I still find it believable. You know, some of the books that Zijin Chen writes are a little bit um, suspension of disbelief every other chapter. Um, and that's okay, right? Like there's lots of movies out there that require a huge suspension of disbelief at one point or another. But the reason why I think this is my favorite book that Zijin Chen has written, at least that I know of, is because I find that the characters do things that I could imagine them doing, even if they are a little bit extreme. It's like, well, you did have the motivation to take that final step. Yeah, yeah, it's it's heightened. But as far as the character's actions go, 
it all makes sense emotionally for sure. I think what you were saying about Chao Yang and how he's not supervised points to another issue besides just the fact he's got a single mother and there's a psychological issue where his dad um his dad is doing all sorts of awful things that doing bad things for his mental health but another issue is his mum her only job is she's up on that mountain as a ticket vendor (laughs) so I mean I was not for a very large window of time but for a while I was the child of a single mother but me and my sibling were going to an after school club you know or we had friends uh we could go to friends houses or my mum's friends houses so there were things to fill in the gap there that would mean we wouldn't be at home for for hours on end i guess the two things that uh chai hung's mom is lacking in the story which are socially believable uh, are money to pay for a child sitter i also don't know how normalized child sitting is in china maybe it's more about having a grandparent or a, a friend mm-hmm. in your social network to handle that or a nanny if you're very rich uh, but that the nanny is the ai is off the table but yeah she just doesn't she, she's she's all on her own and i think part of the reason there is She's been unfairly kicked out of her marriage uh, by Chao Yang's father, who's uh, he's a factory owner, per se, but he's like a big boss of a seafood business. Packaging plant, some kind of business, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So there's an, like an inequality angle there as well. I think you see you see the you see all sorts of economics or Yeah, you do. Pressures around money creeping into the story. I, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, and it's again, it's believable that Chao Yang would be worried about every single hundred dollar bill, and so would um, Ding Hao. Like they're going to be super, super sensitive to money. And then at the same time, like um, the way Wang Yao just, you know, doesn't want to use a camera because it doesn't hold his charge anymore. It's just like, yep, those are her first world problems, so to speak. Like those, that's the level that she's operating at. Uh, yeah, so. Family is a key like dimension where you can kind of dissect or look at this novel, but then economic pressure is another really interesting way to look at the novel. Bullying as well, but I think that's more just for looking at Chao Young rather than looking at um, all the different characters and how those characters relate to each other. Yeah, I was going to say when you said about how the characters react to money, if you're a reader who likes a novel with a bit of hard cash in it, it's a very cash economy book it's definitely <laughs> you can the book doesn't shove it in your face but it you can tell it's sort of pre-smartphone for two reasons mm. one i think is that no one's using what is it sorry Sao on weishin or jiffle bao no one's scanning qr codes to pay for stuff yeah and a camera is really really central uh to the to the drama i don't know if that was in the i guess it wasn't in the blurb but they've got they've got the the basically they have the murder captured on camera in the background of a like a what would you call it an early 21st century selfie um with their video camera yeah they just do you know a fun little video of themselves um although it's not a selfie right i think uh someone's filming chow young is filming and ding hao and poo are on camera or just ding hao is on camera i know Um, some philistines that would call that a selfie which is very depressing but (laughs) anyway sorry (laughs) anyways yeah so that camera is important i feel like for his purposes it's kind of important that these kids don't have cameras so he did just set it uh, far enough back that that wouldn't be an issue but still you know their their day-to-day is so similar to today's china that i think everything still works just fine 
Yeah, I remember previously doing crime fiction on the show. I think it was um, ooh, that's bad. I don't remember the name. It's that one that is in the translation. It's set in Chengdu, but the actual book is somewhere in Jiangsu. In any case, at, at least once on the show, um, the author set it like in the nineties or the early two thousands before smartphones, and I don't know if that's a a, a move crime fiction writers in China make, or if that's just a thing all crime fiction writers <laughs> do for very obvious reasons, and that the yeah. smartphone makes everything much more complicated and potentially, you know, everything can get solved much faster. Or you could maybe even you could say that once the smartphone is in a story, it's going to become a smartphone crime story inevitably. There, you just it's it's unrealistic to, to scrub them out. Well, it's like the surveillance. The surveillance cameras are so important, but um, not necessarily outside of China, I suppose. It's only China and the UK that have surveillance cameras, like in yeah. all big cities in every corner. Yeah, I'm I'm living inside a house that came with with cameras. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. I, if you write a crime story, it have to take place outside. And maybe I'm oversharing, but the cameras on this house have already caught two different groups of bad kids doing away i think illegal stuff um there's a little sandwich shop over the road and some kids smashed their was it their glass or like some hard plastic they smashed stuff with a football oh. and we're we're connected we're, we're pals with the owner and yeah through the magic of a, a local facebook group we were able to use that footage to i think I think it ended up with the police. I don't know if the naughty kids were brought to justice. But then another time, some genius boy egged on by some girls decided to just boot our front door right underneath the camera. Oh, how and strange. Yeah, yeah. And we, his parents did send him to apologize. <laughs> so That's that's something. Yeah, because I'm sure the door is kind of okay, but still. The door is fine. Party. But if it got kicked like that every day, it wouldn't be. No, that too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Pretty nuts. I'll take us to the next question. I think we've we've sort of for readers who hadn't heard of bad kids before, hopefully they get it now. Really astute listeners of the show who've been with us for years now will remember mm-hmm. that your first time you came on the show, we did another book by Zijin Chan. We did um The Untouched Crime. So how similar is this is bad kids to the uncut the the untouched crime? So I think both stories happen in the same universe. We have the detective Yan Liang who is trying to solve the crime in The Untouched Crime, but is also asked to look into some of the murders in Bad Kids. And then I'm pretty sure that the forensic doctor, uh, Chen, can't remember his first name, Dr. Chen anyway, um, is also in both stories. But since he's fairly minor, that's not as noticeable. Um, The Untouched Crime was definitely written earlier, and so it has more of a web feel and more of a... um, you know, like catering to the audience a little bit, making certain kinds of jokes that he thinks his readers will love. Like web, web fiction, you mean? Thank you. Yes. Posted chapter by chapter on like a forum or a website or something. It was serialized and we didn't make any uh, bigger changes to try and, um, I don't know, erase that or um, adapt that. Whereas this story... Um, I think he does a better job just kind of plotting and making the pieces fit together really well. But also I was given a little bit more license to make the book pacier. So at some point I can 
pull back the curtain a little bit and tell you about how we made the book pacier and just that little bit more like a crime fiction novel that someone would want to pick up and then finish the same day. I, I think when it mentioned there was a detective at, I forget if they called it Zhejiang University or Hangzhou University or something, I was like, oh, that sounds like the same one he used for Untouched Crime. Maybe it's the same guy. Maybe I'll look that up. I did not look it up. But it's the same guy. I'm, now I'm you glad, know. <laughs> I'm glad you confirmed that. It's funny because he's he's just he's not in like every what can I say? He 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 pops up now and then, um, but he's not a front runner at all. So that's kind he's of not fun. Central. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not central in this one. Nice part of the Zijin Chen extended universe. Yeah. I don't know if there's much much more we can do to sort of pick it what's similar or different about the books. But I did want to ask you to you. Did Bad Kids seem unusually heavy or dark or socially conscious for a novel from the PRC? We already mentioned how it gets into social issues around like families, broken families, unconventional families, uh, money, money inequality. I thought that was was that felt fairly real, but it gets quite dark as well. So just I don't know what what's your thoughts on that. I mean, I, I guess I would have to say for the socially conscious part, I would say yes. It's um, touching upon issues that um, are really a big deal in China and are something that certainly readers in China, but probably readers elsewhere would really understand and be like, oh yeah, that is an issue. Dark, I mean, technically, but I guess like I'm so close to the book that I forget how dark it is. And I remember telling the editor how many murders there were. I'm not going <laughs> to mention it on the show. But she's like, really? That many? And I was like, um, yeah, I just recounted. It's definitely that many. So th on that level, it is dark. However, um, I have, I'm, I'm currently reading um, a translated uh, crime fiction, again, from Chinese into English. And um, two people are skinned and their flesh is fried. Um, yeah. So that's a lot heavier to me. Like it's just, there's so much more gruesome and ghastly stuff mm. happening. Whereas this one, it's like, oh, you know, the, the person is dead, but more in an Agatha Christie kind of way. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, so it's not gory. I think that's yeah. fair to say. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it really depends on the adjective you choose. So it's certainly more socially conscious than some of the stuff that I've been reading, kind of more touching on the issues, but I've definitely seen just gross and dark done to a more crazy extent, I guess. Yeah, I guess this, when I was thinking of dark, I was more thinking of the situations the kids get put in and indeed the thing, the kid, the things the kids, some of the kids end up doing. I, mm. I'll stray away from spoilers since I guess you want people to buy the book. But um, and you were you said that um, Chao Yang goes down a dark path. He sure does. By the end of the book, I was like, I, am I reading what I think I'm reading? How? The, how? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, also things that you learn happened to probably by me using this phrasing, people will will get what I'm indicating. But again, no spoilers. But things that you learn happened to. Uh, Ding Hao and especially Poo Poo in the orphanage. I was like, damn, this is a. Uh... It, it challenged me a bit because in my mind, I thought, oh, crime fiction, this is a sort of um, breezy genre fiction read. Mm. Uh, I don't have to take it too seriously, but um, I feel like we're, it gets into topics that you shouldn't just sort of breeze through. And then I felt at the end, when you get 
yeah. the dark Chaoyang. Like on one hand, it was it was giving me like the oh yeah, this is twisted crime fiction <laughs> evolution yes. of a of a character um, in an entertaining way. But then the other part of me was like, oh my god, this is so sad. Yeah, this it's is, true. Yeah, so, buckle up, people, buckle mm, up. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, and I suppose whether or not how it compares to as uh, how it stands as a novel from the PRC, well. I've read a lot, but I can't. I feel like I can't say what is standard level of social consciousness for a novel from modern China, especially since I think the stuff that makes it to translation is often the stuff that gets picked because it has some kind of a social element that's interesting or considered to be worthy. So hard to say, hard to say. Yeah. Okay. Um, More about the story. Um, What aspects of it stand out to you? And it could be technical stuff like say character development motivations or just stuff that uh you thought was special or novel you hadn't seen it before or you thought was really well done just anything anything like that i think um again it fits in a style that i really enjoy so the fact that it's kind of a real world it's it's still taking place in a real city uh rather than um a city that we won't tell the exact name or we'll yeah hide certain characteristics to make sure we don't get in trouble um i enjoy that it's still really precise like that and character development is probably my favorite thing about this story so with the untouched crime um we have a main character who's a forensic scientist and he has a daughter and a wife who are so flat it's not even funny like they're just totally adorable and passive um and they have like very minimal conversations they just they they're not interesting and they happen to be female whereas in this book we've got um Pupu who is amazing and then we have Ye Chiming who is the bully of Zhu Chaoyang and who is trying to do better in school but is not number one and therefore she gets told off by her dad so she's got all these motivations to um try and <laughs> make Chaoyang fail at his exams Right. So she's she's just got really interesting character development. Um, Feng Li Na is sweet. Generally, she's the one person who is Chaoyang's friend at school right now. But she's not just pure sweet. Right. She's a little bit dumb and she likes to read her favorite novels instead of actually looking at her textbook and stuff. It's it's just it's delicious the way so much is going on. I remember the editor wanted to change a little something about Zhou Chunhong. There was. Like, he's probably giving her short shrift, right? He describes her as overweight. And um, sometimes she reacts in a way that's just a little bit over the top. But I said I, I enjoyed the fact that this is a mother that's not just painted as, um, you know, oh, she's a saint and she does saint, everything correctly. Correct. Yeah. She is someone who's trying her hardest and uh she really believes in her son this is her her only child and um you know she's probably really bitter from the marriage and she should be like the way she was left and the fact that she's not getting any money whatever like absolutely the fact that she doesn't seem to have a support network would kind of probably make you bitter uh so i said no (laughs) i don't want to change too much about joe chunhong i think she's um a believable character and three-dimensional, even if we don't seem to like the way she acts. Yeah, she's a real grounding force in the novel. And maybe the yeah. fact she's 
not can't be there all the time to ground Choyang is part of the the tragedy. Exactly. It just if, for me, it all fits. You know, if there was somebody there, then someone should have stopped these kids way earlier on. But there was nobody there, and they kind of feed off of each other. They give each other more bad suggestions and bad ideas. Um, so that's for me. It's the motivation and the character development that made the story work. That made me like excited to see what happened next. Yeah. I otherwise, I don't know. I think it struck that balance pretty well of having some Chinese elements, but not um, being so weird or exotic. That um, people can't relate unless they've lived in China themselves. Yeah, there's st- specificity for sure. I've got something I want to mention about that. Before, but before I do, when you were talking about the different female characters and you started with all the mean ones, <laughs> it struck me that in this book and maybe also in the Untouched Crime, mm-hmm. you could sort of do a chart that tracks characters' intelligence with how. Evil they are. They are. Yeah. Because <laughs> maybe there's, I can th- think of a couple of exceptions. Joel yeah. Hong is clearly quite smart, but is nice. And her ex husband is um, a bit of a piece of work for the most <laughs> part, but not that smart. Yeah. But he's I, easily persuaded. Yeah. I can't tell how smart he is. I think he's just influenced by others. Yeah. But then just, yeah. just about everyone else, maybe they start off good, but if they're smart, the intelligence doesn't tend to be used for good ends and mm. by the end. Yeah. Sharp like a knife. <laughs> I mean, and I guess that is the kind of pessimistic dark side of the Jinchen, kind of showing us that, you know, we are selfish and we are likely to make decisions kind of for the short term or for ourselves rather than thinking about what others might need or might want. Yeah. I've, I've never done any of those things. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah so you said about the setting being somewhat specific to china but not in like a completely unrelatable way for your average westerner i thought one thing that was um it's somewhere i've never actually set foot in living in china because i had no reason to but it struck me as well maybe if it's maybe it's not specifically chinese i don't know maybe other countries have these but one very important one or two very important scenes happen in a children's palace, yeah. which I, like I said, I lived in China for years, but never went into one because I wasn't, wasn't a raising children, <laughs> wasn't a child either. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as far as I'm aware, I don't know. I don't know if children's palaces are a sort of a relic from an older China and whether that's an 80s like proto-consumerist China or if in the Mao era, this was a sort of a utopian idea for having a place for children. Do you know anything about them? Like when they There's a full-on Wikipedia article, so I recommend it for anybody who's curious. (laughs) Yeah, yep. Right. Um, And it seems like it might have been a Soviet thing as well, if I remember correctly. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, get the children doing good, healthy things and get them smarter so that they can serve the country better type situation. Um, but also it just sounds kind of cool. Like it has a museum, it has rides next to it, it has classes. It just sounds nice. Yeah, I think any any um what am I trying to say? Any uh, hard left vision for for a for a country or for a world 
like a socialism or communism if you don't have fun stuff or stuff that gets your imagination or for adults your libido going what's the point what's there to live for so there's maybe something in that making a palace for children it's just a case of what do you think is fun you know is it textbooks or is it uh, yes. a roller coaster ride what serves the country better <laughs> I guess that's kind of where it's from. And to me, it sounded really fun. It's just that if you don't put money into it later, maybe it becomes derelict. That's all. Yeah, it becomes like a shadow of its former self. And again, I've never, don't know if I've ever even seen one. So I don't know if they do tend to be a bit run down in, in, in China or not, or if their number is decreasing. And but yeah, it's an interesting sort of maybe runs against some ideas of like a stereotypical idea of what a Cold War communist country looks like that they wouldn't invest resources into places like that. I suppose it comes down to what do you fill the palace with? What's your idea of what makes life worthwhile or fun for a kid? And indeed, what are you doing for them once they become adults? But sort of beside the point, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's just it fit really well. So I'm glad he put it in there. I didn't know about them either. So that that was a chance for me to learn more about a part of China's history that I didn't know. Yeah. Awesome. All right. My next question for you, it's a crucial one. Uh, who's your favorite character? This one's tricky. So I thought about saying Fang Li Na because again, she's sweet. She's someone who's willing to actually give Zhu Chaoyang a chance in class, but really she's just using him so that she can copy his notes. So that's out. I would not want to be friends with somebody who just wants to take my notes. Um, I think Ding Hao, even though he's blabbermouth and he's like <laughs> going to get you in trouble, maybe. Um, he means well and he's always smiling and joking around. So that's the one I'd want to hang out with. Uh, that's who I'm gonna pick. Yeah. Yep. And don't worry, readers, it ends well for him. Everyone <laughs> Do who's you nice, have a favorite ending. I think I liked Chao Yang. Um I could I could relate a bit. Um Okay. And I think not just to like, I don't know, being a weird kid at school or having had a slightly unconventional family, um, but like the chip on your shoulder that can sort of give you and mm -hmm. how that can, it could motivate you to do good things or it could sort of fester like a, a rotten seed. Uh, that's, I could relate to that. I couldn't really relate to a kid who's been through the orphanage or has been living in dire poverty that's luckily for me that's never been me so yeah i think chao yang is the one that i mentally glommed onto i did find the um the killer that jung dong Sheng, the guy who pushed his in-laws off didn't relate to him but uh, he was an interesting <laughs> character and uh, the, the the way the way he tries to manage the situation once he knows he's being blackmailed it's very scary really mm. um really well written sort of um fiend type character you know a guy who what am i trying to say had he not been videotaped might have just walked among us so to speak yeah and yeah. Um, been undetectable as a don't know like a predator in society i enjoyed how um he kind of swings back and forth 
So his anger flashes or bubbles up and then he remembers that he has a role to play. He needs to act a certain way in front of people. And so he reigns in his emotions where he's like, okay, now it's time to convince the police officers that I'm grieving. Now it's time to convince my former professor that I still want to stay with my wife. And I think that we have a chance. Um, That part of it is really fun. But yeah, you're right. He's actually quite terrifying. He's not just... Um, emotional or something he's <laughs> plotting and oh, <laughs> yeah. willing to do a lot to get to his goal yeah mm-hmm. i mean we all behave a little differently in different situations but when someone when the the masks are more there than whatever is underneath them appears to be there and what the thing underneath them is possibly just an even bigger chip on the shoulder just pure rage it's yeah, it's well it's well written for a book that you can, you know, zip through quite quickly on a on a sunny day. Uh, I don't think I have any other characters I want to shout out, so I'll I'll start interrogating you about translation <laughs> instead. Uh, so this is a a nice softball that you can knock anywhere that you please. Did this book present any translation challenges? Spoilers: I heard Michelle speak at. Uh, Chinese literature retreat in Leeds. So I already know some of the answers to this question and I know that they're interesting. Well, hopefully I can even surprise you, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, So like I mentioned a little earlier, I was invited to kind of edit to make the English version a little pacier. And I think I was comfortable because I knew the author's style pretty well already and had already translated maybe four or five books. So I knew what I could do and kind of what I liked to do. Um, so we made some cuts, no huge cuts. So there's mention to a song that we cut out because I didn't think any of the English readers would know it. Uh, there was more romance between Pupu and Chaoyang. Oh. And I said, they have a pretty big age difference. Can we kind of tone that down? Right. Got the okay with the author and the publishers. And that's what we did. Yeah. Cause Pupu is the youngest of the trio. Yes. She's only 11. Right. And so to have a crush is fine, but, you know, I wanted to (laughs) not go too far on that. Um, And then Dream of the Red Chamber is mentioned, which I know you just talked about on the podcast. (laughs) So everybody who's following the podcast would have gotten the reference, but I decided to cut it out in order to avoid a footnote. I know. That was a pretty Um, big one. I know. There's at least one listener. He's like crying. They were on the bus on the seat and now they're on their knees in the aisle (laughs) (laughs) what have i done you know i'm not spreading chinese culture properly i won't be allowed back um but then there's little things that you know we maybe wanted to keep in usually because they related very closely to plot so chow yang's reading this book at the beginning and it's like home remedies for your height or whatever and it says in the book that carbonated beverages leach calcium. And I looked it up and I'm like, oh my God, no, that's not a thing. Carbonated beverages do not take calcium out of your bones. They do not make you shorter. But then I realized I could still see a book being published like that in China. And I could still see someone like Chao Yang, like believing it and then deciding to act on it, like promising himself that he will never, never, never drink carbonated beverages again. And it does come up like three times later in the book. So taking that out would kind of mess up a lot of things. So I just changed it to, let me see if I can find it. 
It's just like we added two words. While you're looking, I'll just say to any anyone listening who's not got Chinese connections, never lived in China, you will if you're living in China as a foreigner, you will get some amazing help of health advice. You will get amazing <laughs> models to follow for staying fit, <laughs> staying active. You will also get some rubbish. Quackery. Quackery. Yes. Yeah. Well, there I'm, we go. I'm pro hot water, by the way. Good. Excellent. Yeah. So Chow Young had gone through the list and underlined the key points. The first thing he would do was stop drinking carbonated drinks because the book said they leach calcium from the bones. So we just added the words the book said, and I was like, now we can keep this. It's going to be absolutely fine. That's really funny. Um, yeah. Listeners won't see it, but I'm holding back a, a giggle. <laughs> and what else happened? Oh, yeah. I asked all of my Chinese friends, as many as I could think of, if there was a custom where people take photos and burn them so their dead ancestors can see them. Oh, yeah. And I was, you know, researching about customs of the dead. I was going and going and going. That doesn't really seem to be a thing. But again, China is huge and diverse. So I could see either somewhere in China doing that or someone like Poo Poo coming fixated with the idea that she mm. wants to stay connected to her dad. And so she's going to maybe, you know, she's 11. She's going to maybe warp a few different customs and meld them together in a way that makes her feel like she's still talking to her dad. She's still letting her dad know that she's okay. So we didn't try and change that or, you know, explain to the reader that mm. most people don't do this. You know, Poo Poo's just exasperated. She's like, duh, I have to take a picture of myself every year and burn it. Duh, Chow Yang. <laughs> <laughs> and she's 11. So, of course, any opinion she holds, she's just going to hold it like absolutely. And uh, especially something that's so close to her, like, I love my dad. I care about my dad and I want to be able to stick with him. So we just left that exactly as is. Mm. Um, I guess that's another yeah. sign that it's an older, or it's not, not that it's older, pardon me, that it's a sort of proto-digital story because um, people are still mm. taking their photos to get printed. They're not yes. just storing them digitally. And assuming that the cloud is connected to heaven in some way. Yeah. That's what um, I'm banking on. But... <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> So for the most part, we made a lot of cuts so that it'd be shorter and punchier. But speaking of hot water, um, when they when Poo Poo and Chao Yang first go to Zhang Longsheng's house, he offers them uh, a carbonated beverage. And of course, Chao Yang says, no, I can't have any soda. No way. Um, and so Zhang Longsheng is a little bit exasperated. He's like, fine, I'll boil some water for you. And so in the Chinese original, Chao Yang just says, okay. And in the English, we added, like most Chinese, Chao Yang preferred his water warm rather than oh, yeah. cold. In little parentheses. Because, uh, yeah, the editor kind of pointed it out, I think, that um, that was an odd way to end the conversation of what would you like to drink. Um, but yeah. Like Scalding said, hot water, please. <laughs> in a glass. It's a hot day. I would like hot water. Yeah. <laughs> It's just these little minor things, you know, and they all add up together to make the story super authentic. Um, and hopefully it's just little trims, you know, like you can see the original hairstyle. And so we're just getting that English version to be trimmed a little tiny bit. So it has the exact same effect, but is maybe a little bit neater on certain parts. Fair enough. What about Blabbermouth? 
you want to oh, say yes. anything about Blabbermouth? Thank you. So every story that I've ever translated of Zijin Chen will come up with one really killer nickname, like really funny, but really hard to translate nickname. So for this book, it was Ba. It's mentioned like five or six times. It was important to the story. And Da means big and Ba means lips. Um, so that could be lips that you put lipstick on or just lips for talking. So I thought about writing loose lips thought about writing big lips loose lips sink ships right like that's definitely a phrase yeah. but i can't see someone calling a 13 year old guy loose lips so i sat on it and i sat on it and i sat jimmy on jimmy the it. lip <laughs> ding how the lip um and then actually the same way that i fixed a similar problem before i just read a lot of other good fiction good stories and came across a book entitled blabbermouth and i was like oh wait that's that's it that's my nickname so i was happy when i finally found it and for me it feels like the right one maybe a different translator would choose something else entirely i think that's almost perfect because the word blabber has a little bit of onomatopoeia like blabber blah 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 blah. it's like a it's satisfying yes it is yeah yeah but it has the meaning that meaning of like oh you spilled the beans again yeah yeah Yeah, just for listeners enjoyment i'll do that again that'll sound good (laughs) excellent i know i have quite a monotone delivery so i know moments like that are premium yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now my next question about the book from your perspective as the translator is have you got reactions to it yet like have you met people who've read it or have you been looking out for the reviews of the english translation just how how's that going it's a challenge i find that a lot of translators finish the project and kind of walk away from it it's people who would go on your show who might be the translators that actually stay connected with their book or think about promotion think about how the book actually landed in the market um, I was totally shocked and uh, not ready for the book to be shortlisted on a crime fiction um, award for a crime fiction award. So I guess it's doing well. Um, and if I remember correctly, Paul French recommended it, which oh, yeah. blew my mind. I've interpreted for him before. I find him to be very interesting and smart. Uh, <laughs> but maybe I just made that up. Who knows? Um, so it seems like it's doing fairly well, which is exciting because Sijin Chen has more out there. And when one of an author's books does well, that means there's a possibility for another book, definitely. I think I know Paul French has a a you know, I know they call them blurb quotes, I prefer to call them promo quotes, whatever. He's got a there's a Paul French quote on the back of a new Sinoist Books book. So I wonder if he's dipping his toes a bit more mm-hmm. away from his favorite colonial history into just translated books from china or maybe it just books from china and from the modern times mm-hmm. um with no foreigners involved well he's trying to read super zone. widely um mm-hmm. i get a newsletter from the china project oh yeah and so every week he recommends a book on his china shelf and I don't know if this is a digital or an actual real shelf that he has, but he's just recommending a different book that somehow is related to China every week of the year. So at that point, you can't just cover like one little tiny part of fiction or nonfiction. You really got to read 
all over the place so you can keep keep people interested, keep the newsletter segment going. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's but the in a good way. On, it's like I'm a, only read tiny novellas. I'm not gonna read a, <laughs> a monster. I mean, I, that's not true. Yeah, you but just I, read Dream of the Red Chambers. <laughs> uh, I didn't. Uh, that was one. I that was one of the like three things I read um, when I was living living in China. Oh, good point. So oh, yeah. if listeners were like, "Why is Angus's close reading uh, missing?" Well, <laughs> that, that's why. I also didn't remember which translation it was. I think it was the Jolly. I looked it up after stupidly. I believe it was the Jolly translation, which is mm-hmm. not. I don't think that's the favorite one. I think is it Howard Hawks is the favorite one. I think my friend's advice was if you can get to a library, try to get two or three different copies Mm. and read the first chapter and see which one you like. That's good advice. He's a smart fellow too. Yeah. (laughs) But we can't always, you know, have access to a library that has multiple copies or even a bookstore that would have different translations for sale on the same like day. So... Yeah. Well, maybe maybe you can do more with, you know, the Amazon look inside and stuff like that. I am haunted by a version of Dream of the Red Chamber that I read about and could never find. When I was living in China, I was looking up lists of like different versions of some mm-hmm. translations. In the end, I just, you know, I, I switched on my VPN and just Googled Dream of the Red Chamber ebook or PDF and got mm-hmm. this old out of copyright translation. So the point was moot. But when I was looking through lists, I'm sure I saw one that was like a sort of a sort of a a translation, but also sort of a reinterpretation, or possibly it was a novel written in English, like a re-inspired. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly, but it was by uh, I think it was by a woman in the Chinese diaspora, maybe Chinese American, who rewrote it to give more of a focus on the female characters, which is funny because it's quite female focused already but it had some spin like that oh. and apparently it was very well written but my google searches have never found it again i prob- <gasps> it seems like i might have dreamed it oh i know the feeling oh yeah. wow yeah so if any listener knows what that is and can help me please please help please. because that's that was bugging me a lot i i went down the rabbit hole again before that episode to, to no avail anywho um back to business i think we can go to the miscellaneous section questions now i always tell myself this is where we start to wind down but when i'm editing the episodes i'm like halfway through the interview (laughs) and i say now it's time to wind down it and then so (laughs) we'll see we'll see (laughs) we'll see how it goes any speed is fine the point is is it good um so can you suggest a chinese word of the day for the episode what what captures the spirit or an important aspect of the book I was very close to choosing the word for father, because again, I find that family relationship to be so important. And the way both Chao Yang and Pu Pu care so much about their dad, but aren't able to get that love back for different reasons. Um, but then I was like, mm, that character's so simple. Maybe that was already chosen in a past episode. So I went for a completely different word. Um, this word is Jiao Ao. So Jiao and all both kind of mean pride and together they mean pride um and the reason why i chose it is because earning his father's pride is cha young's kind of main motivation for um trying to get back at little jing jing and trying to 
I don't know, just certain things that he does. He's just really motivated by showing his dad how awesome he is, even though like he would really be better off. He'd be healthier if he could just not think about his dad at all. That would be the best possible thing. Um, the word actually doesn't come up as much in the English. I think the word only shows up once, whereas in the Chinese it comes up three or four times. Uh, but I still hope that when you read it, you still get that sense that Chao Young is just desperate for his dad to notice him even and maybe to appreciate that he's best in his class, that he's darn clever, you know, and he doesn't get that. And that's part of the reason why it, it's a tragedy. Like he's he's an interesting person and he'd be so much better off if he could just have that little bit of support. Yeah. And I don't know what the what the Mandarin for approval is, but I feel like that's another yeah. thing you always hear people, often boys or men, want from their dads is the approval. But yeah, sure. you're you're right. It's um it's clearly killing him and it's not literally the only thing you can say that's nice about his sorry the only thing that his dad has got going for him is that the biological fact that he's his dad otherwise he's he just really sucks on oh, the money he occasionally throws some money but yeah. that's not consistent or fairly done but yeah it it kind of there, there's a scene i think i don't know if we introduced jing 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 is his child through his new marriage and there's a i don't, I don't think this is a huge spoiler because it's quite early there's a real wince in sympathy scene where Chao Yang has shown up at his dad's office. Jing Jing doesn't know that this her her dad has a she's son. She's nine his... years old. Can I yeah. just put that in there? She's nine. She's old enough to know. Right. But she she should know, right? But she doesn't. Yes, she hasn't been told wrongly. And their their dad sort of tries to get himself out of the situation and explaining who this kid is by saying oh yeah that what does he say like that's my nephew Chao yeah. Young is Mr. Fong's nephew right yeah right not even his own nephew yeah so yeah it's 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 a killer and then well it's a it's a it's a it's a real it's a real downer it's a heart-wrenching uh, moment yeah, yeah like pushes... you won't even own up to like she can handle it. And why are you so easily persuaded by Wang Yao? Why will you do anything she says? She's definitely mm. cray cray. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> again, cray cray in a believable way. Um, yeah. So that's why I chose that word. I, it was a tough one this time. I, I struggled, but I hope you think it's a good one. I think I think it is. Yeah, and you could probably point to other stuff characters do where they feel like they need their dignity or they need to repair their pride or their mm. dignity or they want something to feel good about, proud of, even if it's just having a friend. Yeah, Zhang Dongsheng as well, you're right. Because it's always his in-laws that treat him like dirt because he's a country boy. Mm. So there's a certain sense of pride of, you know, I've scraped by, I've used a lot of graft to get here in this slightly bigger city and to get myself a steady job. But because it's not a high-flying, super well-paid job, it's still not enough. And his pride is hurt, and that's part of the reason why he's doing some of the things that he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, my next question, it's... Listeners, if you've been listening for more than one episode, you'll know what it is. <laughs> if, if you could pair 
bad kids with a piece of music, what would it be? And I can see what you've picked. We have both picked Chinese language songs, so that's fun. I usually pick something Western. I usually pick some like Western pop, rock, or electronic, so modern genre, and then my guest picks something uh, Chinese <laughs> or classical music. Yeah, no hundreds of years old. <laughs> and they or like modern avant-garde stuff, and they they crush me. But I feel like the vibes are similar in these choices. So what's what's your choice? So really, I had to pick this one because this is the exact song that I cut out. It's actually, you can find it on YouTube and, you know, there's maybe a segment of the readership who would have gotten it or taken the time to look up the song. Um, and it's mentioned twice, not just the one time in the book. So I do feel a little bit bad for cutting out. And so now, reader, if you read the book, you can at least appreciate the vibe of this song and the way the, like the singer is just so so sad that his dad doesn't recognize him for who he is that his dad isn't really there for him and it's a fuchin father by the chopstick brothers quite the shongdi they make short movies and then they made this music video i guess they this this one's a total blast from the past for me because when i was in my first year out there in china 2014 to 15 their xiaopingguo little apple was all the rage <laughs> and i haven't heard that one in years so i probably need to go back check yeah. out fuchin but also xiaopingguo because i i know the chorus is in my brain but i can't i would need to hear it again to reactivate the little apple in my brain <laughs> I think I went in like, you know, this song is kind of lame. And then by the end of that year, I would, you know, I'd yell it at the club. Crave yeah. it. <laughs> so what did you pick? Angus? I picked uh, a song that has an English name, a short English name and a much longer Chinese name. So I'll just be lazy and read the English name. Uh, Stable Life Suffer Exams by, I believe it's Lao Wang Yadwei. I almost said Yadi, but then I opened up Google Translate and read the pinyin. It's, I think they, this band had a EP or possibly just a single, like just a couple, two or three tracks that all seem to be about sort of kids, teen or preteen even, 
like suffering. I think it's mostly in relation to school, like the sort of hardcore regime. I think this is a Taiwanese band because they they're using traditional characters, but the whole uh, Chinese slash East Asian like exam cram national exams regime. I believe there's they've got a track whose English name is something like national national exams. You know, cram schools killed the kids or something. So oh. not killed, <laughs> but like that's yeah. the theme. Yeah, no, it's true though. It's so intense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought high school was. Pretty intense. I wouldn't put it all down to exams, but like even as a pampered、mm. Westerner, like yeah, the whole school regime <laughs> kind of sucks. Even though it's、yeah. a structure, this thing your adult life doesn't give you automatically. But yeah, I'll I have a translation. Like I'll be at a Google translation of the lyrics in front of me, but I, I'll do what I usually do. I'll just read them. So it starts off saying, "Children carry heavy backpacks." Repeats that a few times. Children carry silent worries. The children are carrying heavy backpacks. The children are carrying the silent troubles. How to escape the repetitive days? The same daily troubles. The signal of freedom is not received in the classroom. Working hard only for the teacher to laugh. The name of the classmate next door. I have long forgotten. Young students formatted can't. This is a well, not a good translation here. Young students formatted can't think. Can't think about the road ahead. Study hard and continue to take the test to have a stable life. What a beautiful three-year and five-year college entrance examination, and then the same, the same again. So it's about it's not about murder; it's just about studying for your exams. But I feel like the some of the, especially if you to if to listen to the music, some of the the vibe of the shit end of the stick when it comes to being a kid going through the motions、mm-hmm. that kids have to go through, I think is there in that song. Oh my god, that reminds me. There's something else I really wanted to read.、Oh, better. It's short. Adults only listen to one side of the story. Usually, it's the girls' side. They're so stupid. Chao Yang exhaled sharply. Adults think that children are simple and that their lies are easily uncovered. They have no idea how wicked some kids can be. And that's exactly it. It's that feeling of、oh, I'm a kid and I can't do anything right now. When I finally grow up, I will. Dot dot dot. Yeah. Sense of powerlessness, or you know, sense of oh, this is taking up my life, and anything else would be so much better. Yeah,、mm-hmm. I can remember a lot of the grievances I had as a kid, especially as a teenager. And the funny thing is, looking back on them, some of them I'm like, yeah, I was wrong to be upset about that, or it, it was understandable as a、mm-hmm. kid. I would get fixated on blah blah stupid thing, or fixate on something and then respond to it the wrong way. But then there's other things. Where like my grievances were quite legitimate, like both my、yeah. mom and my dad, who I was being ferried between as divorced parents, tended to get me barely on time or late for stuff, and I felt quite aggravated about that. And I think later in life, thought maybe I was just being too demanding,、um, mm. and I sh- should. It's perfectly fine to show up just in time for something, or thirty seconds, or one minute, or two minutes, or five minutes late. But then, with an、mm-hmm. adult perspective, you know, seeing,、mm-hmm. knowing that it's not the hardest thing in the world to manage your timekeeping like that, like, oh yeah, I did have a, I was right to be a bit upset about that. But as a kid, I'm powerless because I can't drive myself、yeah. to the swimming club three miles down the road, and I didn't even necessarily want to be at a swimming club three miles down the road. But you know, you're you're a little tiny little person, so what can you do? So true. And that's another thing where I just find the book really relatable. 
and maybe relatable slightly to a younger audience, but I certainly remember being 13 and getting frustrated about things. So I think it works for an older audience as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would give this to a teenager, teenager. I'm not sure if I'd pass it to a 12-year-old. They might not know what they're getting into. No, they need to be over, God, probably over 15. You're right. Maybe if they're, (laughs) if they're, I know they're not going to be traumatized, but I would want to know first, I guess. That's the trouble. And, you know, it's the interesting thing about how we have a system for movies, but we don't really have a system for books. So you can accidentally stumble upon something that's really not, not the right thing for your age level. If you're not like getting books that are like specifically handpicked for you. Yeah. But conversely, the split between a young adult book and an adult book in the bookshop is usually not very fluid. Some books will work as both, and maybe like some Good simple point. adult books are easily readable. But yeah. like, I feel like maybe it's because Hollywood movies are so infantilizing. There's loads of adult adult movies that are easy viewing for 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 you know young people, anyway. or, or perhaps it's a movie that is trying to get a release globally. Um, it wants to make money in countries that are a bit more conservative or restrictive, so it's not going to put in all the shocking content because it's going for the lowest common denominator, which might make it more kid-friendly. Whereas, I don't know, mm-hmm. the lowest common denominator for a book is a much harder thing. Yeah, in a good way, I guess. One of my one say. of my best reading experiences as a preteen was The Da Vinci Code, because that yes. was at my reading level and was something very different from children's books I'd read. It was more adult. If you know the book inside out, you might know the bits I mean. Um, but of course, when I mentioned it to... Um, certain adults in my family who have certain ideas about what's good literature and what isn't they weren't impressed (laughs) and again looking back on that as a kid I was right to be disappointed about that because I was trying to tell someone I cared about I read an adult book and I got hey I got sneered at wow did I mention I have a chip on my shoulder (laughs) and that's why you like Chow Young (laughs) yeah 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 Chow Young mindset yeah Okay, I'll take us to the bonus question now before it becomes a gripe session for me. So, uh, listeners, if you're listening to the standard episode, you will hear garbled noise here, or reversed sped up audio of me and Michelle talking. If you want to hear the answer and conversation around this question, it will go up, not immediately, but at some point to the show's Patreon, along with all the other bonus questions and lots of other bonus episodes what I have done on interesting books. There is a bonus episode on Bad Kids, which is me talking about this book, I don't know, for 20 to 40 minutes um, long before this interview. So it's all up there. I think that Bad Kids one is live already. Anyway, the bonus question for you, Michelle, is this. Do you think publishers, English language publishers, that is, know how to sell books in translation like Bad Kids? I ask that because to me, just aesthetically, this is a really, I mean, I know you don't like the red, but to my brain, this is a very nice looking and also commercially friendly looking book. I love it, actually. Okay, I'll close off the bonus question there. On to the final two questions. Oh, and by the way, all of you use guys not subscribed to the Patreon, that was the best bonus question ever, and you're missing out. Really? It's the last, one of the last 10 bonus questions you're going to get before hiatus, Uh folks. Yeah, the the clock's ticking. (laughs) Oh, I'm so honored Um, to be one of the last 10. So honored. 
I may have said this on the show. I would like one of them, maybe number ninety nine, to be a drinking game episode. I just need to. F- <laughs> I just need to find the biggest alcoholic in CTE. Uh, yeah, we can work on that. I can figure out something for that. I f- I suspect. No, I, I won't. I won't name names. I have. I have some guesses, but a, a former guest on the show suggested I do that for Moyan's Republic of Wine, Jogwa. Oh, a fat book. Okay, but oh, okay. I would. I would okay. do it if it would. If it would secure the guest. Anyway, um, yes. Further reading questions. If listeners want more like bad kids, obviously they should go get the Untouched Crime. But beyond that, where would you direct? Well, uh, since I went to Leeds, I met someone who is actually researching Chinese crime fiction. And so thank you to her for recommending these books to me. I finished The Golden Hairpin by Chinghan Sisi, I assume, recently. And that is crime fiction, takes place in China, is translated from Chinese into English. I had a good time, really loved it. The only thing that makes it very, very different from Bad Kids is that it takes place in Imperial China. And our main detective is female. There's actually a lot more female characters, but it's still, it's a, it's a fun one and it's pacey in the way that I want it to be pacey. And there's a lot of characters going on instead of like a zoomed in focus on just three or four people. And I've also started a book called Murder in Dragon City by Qingming. Um, this is translated by Alex Woodland and actually Alex Woodland also translated The Golden Hairpin, which is interesting because actually they're quite different. Mm-hmm. Murder in Dragon City takes place in present day um, and it's in a fake city. Disappointing. But otherwise uh, I find the storytelling to be very good and it's modern day all these forensic people trying to work out what is going on here and who is the criminal. So uh, a very good match as far as I can tell because I'm just on chapter six at the moment. But yes, guys get both. Uh, they're really easy to get because they're on Amazon and Kindle as well. So super fun to just have ready to go when you're waiting around in some waiting room or you're taking a flight taking a train i would recommend both so you're telling me there is no dragon city and that is not like the capital of china is not dragon city if i am wrong about this guys please help me i've been studying chinese for too long to not be aware of dragon city (laughs) i'm just messing with you yeah i noticed well we'll go together we'll go on a holiday together yeah. if it dragon exists. province uh dragon <laughs> dragon minority autonomous prefecture region <laughs> excellent yeah they're making all the dragons learn mandarin actually it's it's sad <laughs> uh moving on uh actually no not moving on another i think i noticed about both these books um as well as being translated by alex woodend uh do you know what else they have in common They're both Amazon Crossing publications. Oh, interesting. See, that's some publishers are doing well, but that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Go get the Patreon, guys. Yeah. And um, thank you. Thank you, Bezos Corp, for whatever reason serving translated Chinese, uh, translated Chinese Mm -hmm. genre fiction, especially Amazon Crossing has some good stuff. There's one one of theirs. I I don't think I'm going to be able to do it before I hit episode 100, but it's one of my favorite ones I've read uh, from Translated Chinese Lit. It's called The Child's Past Life. I think they really blew it because the Chinese title is much cooler. It's Shung Si He, so it should be called River of Life and Death, but they called it The Child's Past Life. Oh, I wonder if there was already a book with that name. Maybe, maybe. 
uh that uh, that one i loved it's it's like a blend of um supernatural crime and revenge but yeah that's a great one anyway um for for further reading questions sorry for further reading tips i've got one for listeners go to truthific.com the show homepage and um just i you know i've forgotten exactly how one navigates to a tag but um i have i'm pretty sure i've got like a crime yeah if you go into select category right there on the main screen there is oh there is oh yeah there right there at the top all crime episodes you can find every episode i've done on crime books and there's all sorts of crimey goodness there so genius yeah yeah. okay final question for you michelle and last guest i asked this said what did she say? She said you announce. She said something to the things after they happen, rather than before they get secured. You announce the birth, not the pregnancy. That's what she said. So she she didn't disclose, but so don't feel obliged to answer. But what are you working on just now? Yeah, more shorter stuff at the moment. Um, I am really, really enjoying the teaching right now. So sometimes I just get excited about a little text that I want my students to translate with me, or um, I'm trying to create right now a speech about electric vehicles, because that's so big in China right now. Um, Literary-wise, we're in wait-and-see mode, Um, but I'm generally, compared to other translators, I'm generally um, a wait-and-see kind of translator. So when someone comes up to me and says, what about this book? I take a good look at it and decide then rather than reading 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 falling in love with a book and then having my heart broken because the book can't be done or there's no money for it for whatever reason (laughs) sensible so we'll see what comes my way you know um i'm open for business everybody you got something that's good let me know (laughs) take heed everyone take heed okay i think i'll wind it up there unless is there anything we've missed you you'd like to get into listeners uh, eardrums <laughs> listeners you are amazing thank you so much angus for having me i think we've covered everything yeah i don't say that enough listeners you are great even if you don't <laughs> subscribe on patreon you're still awesome yes yes you are amen to that okay we've come to the end of the show tragic i know i don't think i'll need to plug the patreon there was plenty of plugs in the interview i could plug the social media but you know the links are all literally in the show notes so i'll skip that instead i want to say we are getting quite near the end of the whole series now not long till we get to episode well quite long but not that long until we get to episode 100 at which point i will be taking a great big break to do other things in my life that i've been meaning to get around to so if there's anything you're desperate to hear before we hit the 100th episode, you know, now's the time to tell me. If if there's anything, any message you like to, you'd like to pass on to the show, please do let me know. I doubt I'm going to get enough to do anything interesting with them, but who knows. I suppose, last of all, if you've been thinking for a long time that you'd like to be a guest on the show, then really you need to tell me now because um, I've already got the next three or four odd interviews lined up. So which means, listeners, that should be good for you guys. That should mean I'm able to keep these rolling out fairly regularly. Hopefully we won't have too many big gaps between episodes for the next few. Although, you know, touch wood, maybe there will be. But yeah, we've got some good ones lined up. I'm hoping to do something a bit different for the last few episodes. 
I think you heard me talking to Michelle about maybe doing a boozy uh, boozy episode. Unless I cut that out, I don't remember. But yeah, um, do get in touch with anything you want to get in there before the show goes on hiatus, basically. I will just end things there and of course tell you the very best thing you can do with the show, it, do for the show, is tell your friends, tell your family, tell your school teachers, tell the guy blackmailing you because you own a piece of footage that shows him doing something awful. If you tell him, it might distract him long enough for you to pull out your pocket knife and gut him. And on that charming image, I will leave you and say, Zajian. <laughs> <laughs>